0: salt force one a podcast where we talk all things navy military and other global happenings i am your
1: commander in chief frank i'm jimmy otherwise known as the salty millennial
0: and tell us who we have today jimmy
1: all right on the line we are joined by brian mcgrath and brian welcome to salt force one
2: thank you very much looking forward to the time with you
1: yeah we are too brian uh i really appreciate you joining us um for those of you who don't know, Brian is a, a retired surface warfare officer, a, a commanding officer of a destroyer. Brian, you are uh, you're an interesting character to me. Um, I, I follow you on Twitter, and um, you know you can uh, if you if you follow Brian on Twitter, you notice a few trends. Um, it's it's uh, it's interesting to me because you're sort of uh, open and, and uh, forthright uh, with what you enjoy. You know you can kind of I would summarize. Your online presence by uh, you know UVA basketball, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Christmas carols, and American sea power. Uh, maybe throw in uh, Eastern Shore in there, and then uh, I think that that pretty much uh, captures a lot of uh, your your online persona, which I appreciate. Well,
2: I think I think my f- former the. Uh, Former friends in the grand old party would argue that my primary online presence is um, trolling them these days.
1: <laughs> well, I, I do. I, I notice that, too. Um, although that is, uh, I, I watch that uh, with enjoyment, um, but it is above my level of expertise. So um, I don't jump in there. Um, I like to, to jump in on the American Sea Power. Uh, Game of Thrones, for sure. Uh, I assume you watch the uh, season premiere?
0: I have watched the season premiere three times already.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably because you're trying to find something meaningful out of it.
0: (laughs) Man, I watched it purely because Jimmy said we're going to be talking about it. Not that I wasn't excited, but I just hadn't watched it. And then the whole world couldn't talk about anything else. And I just had to do it finally. So last night, I finally caught up.
1: I I went to work one day without having watched it because I couldn't watch it Sunday night. And I had to sequester myself and basically be an asshole to everybody. Otherwise, they were going to be telling me. But it turns out there's really nothing to spoil. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed the episode, but it's supposed to be, you know, I think the whole season's like six episodes, and what yeah, really, yeah, yeah. It's, and they're you know they were they were uh, um, billing them as an hour and a half long, you know, movie quality episodes, and this was like less than an hour. So, I mean, other than Bran creepily staring at everybody that entered uh, Winterfell, I, I just uh, I didn't get a whole lot out of it. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'm well, sure.
2: I, I think I think it's important um, to think about that episode as opposed to or, or in the context of the series so far. And season seven was a was a ridiculous uh exposition of time travel <laughs> and logistics that, you know, that yeah. just begged credulity. Whereas uh I think Sunday night's episode was more in line with the first couple of seasons where they spent time developing stories character development in this case obviously it was reuniting a series of characters who had had a previous relationships. so yeah I, I i actually got a lot out of it from the when i when i thought about it in in that perspective but uh, you know if you're looking for uh, other things i
3: think it was no.
1: well i, I, I agree with you 100 percent um on on yeah. uh, the, the season seven um time travel of the armies and just uh, completely disregarding the realities of armies marching across continents um something that you know that's to me that was apparent in the uh the fact that we've gone past where george R. R. martin wrote the books and and i don't think that he would right. gl- so easily gloss over those kind of details but here right. we are right. yeah we,
0: and that was actually one of the the nerdier things that uh that i enjoyed uh, so i guess we should just say spoilers alert for any spoilers there are but, oh yeah yeah but uh when they when you know the big army shows up my first thought was like, how are they going to feed all these guys? And I was like, it just can't happen. So when uh, when Lady Sansa said, "How are we supposed to feed them?" I'm like, oh, well, good. We're addressing this. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, that, was, that was excellent. That yeah. was, it was excellent.
1: I'm a big fan of uh, Sansa, Sansa. Sansa right now, and yeah. uh, and I think that uh, you know she's my she's my my um, your dark phoenix. my dark my dar- well <laughs> I was gonna say dark horse, but yeah, yeah, appropriate pun there. She's my dark horse favorite to uh, sit on the Iron Throne. Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, I don't... She's,
2: she's certainly a lottery pick. Yeah. I mean, she's you know she's she's way up she's, there. She's
1: she's she's peaking at the right time. You know. Yeah. The uh, yeah. the opposite of our, our Tampa Bay Lightning that uh, uh, stumbled through the the uh, first round of the NHL playoffs. You know her... But
2: it's all. But uh, it's also I, I think especially Aria's advocacy of her to John. Yeah. Sets up sets us up for her being slaughtered in some unspeakable <laughs> way also
0: so. that might be yeah. I, I still think yeah. uh you know i think john's gonna have to kill the dragon queen at some point
1: yeah. That, Focility. Yeah,
0: Focility. yeah
1: um well okay so so we'll see how that goes so uh i am excited for the season uh i'm also excited to talk um uh sea power with you brian um you know, I know that. Uh, of course, you know, we could talk UVA basketball. I'm I'm not uh, uh, an expert on that topic, and uh, I uh, I'm wondering if you're still riding that high. Uh, so, anybody that doesn't know the the Cavaliers won the uh, men's basketball national championship this year,
0: and that pretty much ends the conversation because they're officially the
1: best team in the country. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I assume yeah. you're you're uh, you're still riding that high, Brian.
2: I'm still making my way through wearings of the many t-shirts that I yeah, yeah. I got a new I got a, yet another new one on this morning for this for this
1: recording. I I imagine you're sitting in a room with piles and piles of UVA basketball paraphernalia and memorabilia.
2: Well, I'm I'm out in my office right now and and it doesn't have that much but oh, okay. there's some on the way. I got a, a you know, I framed Copies of the local Charlottesville newspapers. I've got, you know, I've
1: got a whole bunch of stuff. In so go big yeah. or go home. Well, you know, it's a big turnaround, right? I mean, this is a uh, part of the reason I would imagine it's so enjoyable is after last season's. I hate to bring it up, but you know, first round loss as a number one seed, and then you know that's that's got a sting, and then to come back and then win it all uh, has to feel pretty damn good. Well, I mean, uh,
2: yeah, it does. It feels amazing. Oh, first of all, I realize many of your listeners may consider it. Silly that a grown man watches teenagers <laughs> run around on a yeah. basketball court and derives some yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, personal satisfaction from it. But
1: our um, listeners pretty much cons- I don't know they, if they're listening to us, then they are themselves silly. So, <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, I, you know,
2: we there are things in my life that I have control over that I take credit for, and there are things that I have no control over that I'm a a part of, and this is one of them. And it's just been a, reg- a wonderful. A, a wonderful experience. I got to see several of the championship of the uh, NCAA games. I went to the ACC tournament. I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 have a claim on this, uh, on this fandom and, and, and it, you know, obviously you mentioned last year. It's, it's nice the way things turned out. Uh, yeah. I, I'm ready to move on and, and you know, emotionally, and <laughs> I'm already thinking about who's going pro and what are we going to have coming back next year? But, uh, you know, it's football season now. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of football and, and dedicated fans, uh, Frank is a, a dedicated Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, so he Damn, knows right. the he knows the struggle yeah. of of waiting for a championship. So <laughs> not as much as the Falcons, know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Um, oh, and you know, you know. Uh, speaking of uh, your players on the team, um, your center is named Jack Salt. So um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him just by by definition. So I, I think he's, blood. you know <laughs> that's, that's, he's that's meaningful he, yeah yeah that's a it's a strong connection um so I hope he does well in the pros and uh, maybe we can have him on as a guest I don't know we'll still see I don't
2: think you'll see him in the pros in this country I think he'll, he'll uh, wind up in some other country
1: is there. he um, Australian or a Brit he is
2: I believe he is in New Zealand
1: New Zealand okay a so Kiwi. he's a Kiwi all right um yeah. no that's that's very cool so' I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep tabs on him just because I saw his name and I thought that's just a really cool name.
0: Yeah. So. My team's UCF, and, uh, you know, we had big old Taco, Taco Fall. And so, how do you follow that up? We got a bowl. God, one I know. One of the new bowls kids.
2: That was really one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. Uh, the and, Duke uh, game? I, 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 it's a, unfortunate how it turned out,
1: uh, but when I yeah. think about
2: the game plan Johnny Dawkins put together for that, it was perfect. It was
0: nearly perfect
3: yeah
1: um, and it that came that game came down to a what a rim out it uh, came down uh, to
0: some lucky bounces I yeah. mean up in the rim
1: so well that's the you
2: know that's the sport yeah um, you know Virginia is very fortunate uh, in in the, the good in the luck that it had through the tournament
1: yeah there was a, um, at least one close call
2: Duke 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 got beat last year on a on a shot where it rimmed out for them so uh, that's the way it goes yeah
3: yeah
1: well, okay, so Brian, I think what most of our listeners uh, came here to hear uh, is uh, a little bit of navy stuff, so um, and that's one of the reasons I'm glad to have you on. Uh, you have a lot more experience than I do. Uh, infinite more experience than Frank does. Uh, he is our um, our uh, know nothing civilian that uh, we try to explain things to. so we we in naval circles tend to care a lot about things, and I think sometimes guys like Frank what what in the world are you talking about why do you care okay so
0: and that's uh it's been interesting on the site you know there's uh, we get some commenters either on facebook or or to a post and um it is interesting how people within the community can be like oh this is the biggest deal it's been the biggest deal for the longest time and it's like oh i've never even heard of this thing
1: yeah like like probably lcs is an example you that doesn't ring a bell i don't even know what that means yeah so uh but we we care a lot about that kind of thing so uh we we try to explain things to Frank uh, using small words and talking slowly <laughs> um we'll, we'll we'll get there um but uh what I wanted to talk to you about today uh is the uh the case of the USS Fitzgerald yes so let's see uh backing up uh it was uh involved in a collision in 2017 uh <clears throat> seven sailors died um, lo- uh, an error chain a mile long lots of people made mistakes uh there there was um you know it, it c- certainly the ship was found to be at fault um and the commanding officer uh bryce benson was uh, put on trial uh, along with um the uh, tactical action officer um uh, natalie combs and all these cats skated right so that's that's the kind of the recent thing. Well, I mean, it's skated. It's a subjective term. I'm interested to hear your your thoughts, Brian. So they they ended up dropping the charges. The the their the court martial ended with um, letters of censure, which are serious, but they're they're a career ending from the Secretary of the Navy. But the, as far as the court martial goes, the 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 charges were dropped. Am I getting that right, Brian? Is that is that uh, how you understand it?
2: I think that's, I think that's a fair rendering. Yeah.
1: So, you have you've weighed in uh, a few times, and as have I, um, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the, re- the results of, and this has been a long process for the Navy over two years, and uh, the, the court-martial actually started with um, uh, negligent homicide charges against the... Uh, it uh,
0: seemed a little much
1: uh yeah well it's rare for sure yeah uh and uh it's not something you typically see but it was a it was a fatal collision
0: well i mean manslaughter but homicide seems
1: yeah uh... so if you if you look at negligent homicide it's i could see where somebody could read the definition and, and it, yeah. if they're a lawyer and, and say okay i can make that case for sure uh, but from from a, a naval officer's perspective i know a lot of a lot of SWOs uh, were a little surprised um, that that was the, the charge that was brought. And it eventually got dropped to, uh, uh, I think, dereliction of duty uh, or, or something similar. Um, and then even, even that uh, ended up uh, being dropped. So um, do, you, do you think, Brian, that that was, um, I don't know what the right word is. Is that a, an appropriate a, result? Appropriate result. Yeah, let's, let's, let's try that. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how that shook out.
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you from an email I sent you on February 11th, okay, which was which was um, some time before the Navy reached its decision on this. Um, I said the uh, I think it is very likely that the Fitzgerald CO walks because of the statements already made. No, what? I think the name yeah. What's
1: that? What do you mean in, in, in the context of the statements already made?
2: Uh, the CNOs, uh, this, the undue influence stuff.
1: Okay, gotcha. The undue
2: command influence. Okay. Then I went on, I think the Navy might already know this. If this is the case, then they may be executing a preemptive stratcoms effort. And on this, I was referring to um, the CNO's PAO shop having uh, tweeted out uh, an article that I wrote um, that was my own opinions, my own views, my own strongly held views, but that uh, broadly coincided with uh, what I think most uh, in uh, current leadership of the Navy feel. Uh, But it was inappropriate for them to have done that, and it it fed its undue influence.
1: I'm curious, did anybody Um, communicate with you on the posting of that of your article
2: not a not a not a smoke signal not an email not a phone call nothing
1: yeah which is actually surprising to me i think even i agree it was inappropriate um you know you could call it dumb uh, and and i do um do i think the cno himself was involved no um do i think that the cno's pao chinfo acts on his behalf in terms of public affairs yes um, so, you know, it was very, very stupid for them to do that. And then to, to not talk to you first, because I'm guessing based on your comments, you would have advised them against that.
2: Um, yeah, well, that was the, that was the, um, the first line of this email I wrote you, I said, I would have told them under no circumstances should they tweet my article.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, right, right. I mean, it. It's certainly from a publicity standpoint, it's great publicity, but it's uh... But I,
2: I, you know, I, I, even if they hadn't tweeted my article, I think the horse was already out, out of the barn. I think, you know, the. Yeah. I think that. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not trying to be critical of the CNO only because I'm trying to understand the very big picture. And so when I go to my second point in this email I sent you, it, it explicates that, and I want you to say, I realize that the view is unfashionable, but the centrality of command thing is real. It has existed for centuries, and it's not going away without a fight. Yeah. CNO, in, CNO, in my view, must protect the institutional interests of the Navy in carrying out its missions. And I think he believes, as I strongly do, that the centrality of command argument is indistinguishable from mission accomplishment.
3: Yeah.
2: So I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know what went through his mind, but uh, the bottom line is the, the continuing to reinforce for up-and-coming CEOs this concept is ultimately more important to me than whether the CEO of the Fitzgerald is found criminally culpable yeah. for the actions he took or didn't take in this case.
1: I think that's and a, that's a that's yeah that's a solid that's point like. a solid point and I think you could you could argue uh and you might you may actually be arguing that the CNO feels the same way and that the decisions he made decisions that the navy made not just him um were based on a belief that it uh it needed to protect that foundation, that that institution of command and that uh you you could almost say the, the decisions they made and the consequences thereafter were worth it, uh, because they held strong to the notion of, as you say, of centrality of command. Could uh, you uh, unpack? I think that that's for a me.
2: reasonable that's a reasonable way to summarize my feelings. And then, but but also I have doubts, right? I have doubts because um, uh, if you go back to the September news conference, September two thousand seventeen news conference when you know, introduced the results of the CRR and this, and this, uh, the, uh, the readiness review, consolidated readiness review, um, and was asked, you know, sort of point blank, did these systemic problems contribute to the collisions? He was, you know, essentially hell yeah, they did. I mean, he just came right out and said it. And I remember watching that going, that's not a smart thing to say.
1: Yeah. Because of the ongoing legal matter or because uh, number you- Number you... one,
2: number one, because I don't believe it's true. Okay. And number two, because it would undercut any further attempt that I believe he would have to make to protect this centrality of command argument.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would tell you, so I, I'm in the camp of believing that both both things can exist. And a lot of the people that I talk to- believe very strongly that the systemic issues contributed to those collisions. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I try, try to temper their arguments uh, when I have conversations with them, uh, because I, I believe in, in, as you do in, in the centrality of command. Uh, but I also believe that the the decades of, um, mismanagement, um, of the, the decades of, uh, uh, the way that we trained swos uh contributed to a situation where we accepted a standard which was less than the best a standard in our operations and our personnel um and and i and I think that, that that had a had an impact uh beneath the surface now what those people did on those on, on the McCain and fitzgerald uh, they are responsible for uh you don't get to say uh well i wasn't trained properly um you, you you just you don't get to do that because you put on a uniform and in the case of the CEO you accepted command uh, and and really in the case of all those people they made a choice to go and lead people on those ships and put them and themselves uh, themselves and their sailors in harm's way so no they don't get to say well I wasn't trained properly but I do think it's fair to for the peanut gallery just to take a larger view and say well well let's let's look and see how we can prevent this in the future and maybe there was. Uh, some impact from the the problems that, that are well documented. So, so
0: basically, you think that a, a cause probably is poor training, but that's not an excuse to let anybody off the well, hook. Well, that's the
1: danger, right? And I think that's what Brian's okay. saying is that if you start to say, "Well, the systemic issues," and the CNO says it, uh, then you start to get COs that get to their ships and they they believe something less than that they have total responsibility over their ship. Ah, I see.
2: So, so let me, let, I'd like to. First of all, you can indeed, and this is one of the things that has really pissed me off about some of the, um, some of the things that I've read when people, uh, read what I write and draw their own conclusions from it. And that is, um, I have never let big Navy off the hook for broad, deep, and important systemic problems in readiness. I have argued for more money. I have appeared before Congress and asked for it. Um, I have helped Navy leaders crack their messages for these sorts of things. Yeah. I wasn't as a, I wasn't as aware of the uh, of the pathologies at a at a ship by ship level as it turns out that they were. But there's absolutely no question in my mind that we were consuming readiness faster than we were producing it in that fleet. Break. Yeah. That does not mean that I can connect the dots between those readiness problems and decisions made by watchstanders on those nights. Um, watchstanders who subsequently, in, in their statements that are available for all of us to read, made it very clear that they knew that what they were doing was wrong. Yes. And they knew that what they were doing was wrong because they were trained to know what they were doing was wrong.
3: Right. So, so that,
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I keep coming out of this thing with, all right, I want, I want there to be responsibility affixed for the systemic issues. But those systemic issues are different than what goes on within the lifelines of a ship. And that's where I think the captain has, um, Inescapable culpability.
0: And he was sleeping, right? Or was that a
1: was He, he was, was sleeping, but yeah. that's
2: that's part of the part yeah. of this thing is it doesn't matter if you're sleeping.
1: No, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder if that was if that played into his decision to fight back. Because the other CO did not fight the charges. Now I don't think he was charged with as a homicide. I don't think he went to court martial, but he didn't he didn't go to trial because he didn't he didn't resist. Uh, but well, now he I, was I actually I, on on the bridge.
2: If I were the CEO of the Fitzgerald, I would have fought it too. And I would have fought it based on um, statements made by Navy leadership in the immediate aftermath, not in the immediate aftermath, but when the reports were released and that these reports um, and, and that this discussion of systemic yeah. impact, would have, I would have said, oh, hell yeah, I'll, I'll take some of that. Yeah, You know, you want to, you want to you want to dilute my responsibility for this? Bring it on.
1: Well, they also made it clear that that not not just the CNO, uh, there was Admiral Caldwell, and there were others. And he was he was the judge found him uh, having unlawful command influence, uh, so he was removed. Uh, but it was clear that Navy leaders were not going to uh, let him have a fair trial, and so I think he was he was he was justified to to resist and to fight back. Um, based on, on those grounds, I, I
2: can't I can't I can't agree. Uh, what you what you just said is a, is a fairly important charge, and that is that you, that there was uh, that there was. I mean, I, you didn't use the word conspiracy, but that's what it sounds like. That conspiracy among movie leadership to ensure that that man did not get a uh, a fair a fair trial. I believe that when you have a bureaucracy and you're given the choice between um, incompetence and malevolence you should always pick incompetence
1: <laughs> yeah well no and and, and, and you know and to, to to uh just to go back to so i'm not i'm not suggesting conspiracy what i'm trying to echo are the words of the judge uh when he uh first of all found uci in the case of admiral caldwell and then suggested that there could be uci in the case of the cno's word so i'm only trying to to Echo what's been said. I, I, I'm not trying to suggest that there's more under the surface. But well, I think
2: there's a difference between. I mean, you can have UCI by, uh, and I think it, it certainly occurred in this place, especially based on the uh, on the judges. You can have unlawful command influence that is not, you know, sort of designed to to uh, to to deny someone a fair trial. Um, it, the 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 in Impact of those statements may, in fact, create that situation. Right. Okay. But you have yeah, to. I think fair. you have to get to intent, and I don't, I'm not sure anybody wanted to deny this guy a
1: fair trial. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's and fair. is that
0: basically the extent to which you think he wasn't going to get a fair trial? So
1: the so what you're saying is that it was the the potential for the people that were going to try him, the court martial, right. board, uh would have been influenced by the comments of the CNO right. you know, and right. other senior right. leaders. So. Okay. um and that was in the, in the judge found that to be jeopardizing his, his chances. Um, so I, I, think that all, that all went as unfortunately, I don't think it was the, the best outcome. Uh, it, they, they, the, the people it that were tried. The,
2: it may have been the least worst. It may have yeah. been the least worst outcome.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: the, the bottom line is the commanding officer, the TAO, the officer, of the deck, uh, they were all removed from their positions. Um, I believe that most of of most observers who who have an interest in this subject that is also backed up with some time uh time at sea recognize that the captain of that ship did not execute his responsibilities. Yeah. Whether he was criminally culpable or not the system has decided no, and he wasn't. Was he responsible? Hell yeah, and that's why he why he was relieved of command immediately.
1: Do you think that the the nomination of Admiral Moran as the next CNO and the timing of that, which was separated by one day after the announcement that the, the two officers were, were not going to trial, ha, uh, do you think that the two events had any connection? The fact that the, uh, the, the CNO decided to, to not go through with the trial and then the next day that the, the nomination of Admiral Moran?
2: I don't know. I mean, I, you know, uh, correlation is not causation. And yeah. um, there were uh, we've we've had an announcement of a of a commandant. We've had an announcement of a chairman of the Joint Chiefs. So, I mean, we're in that season. So um, I can't uh, I, I don't I don't say that it, they're not related, but I cannot say that they are related because of the other announcements that have been coming out. The the, the elevation of Admiral Moran to CNO or the nomination of Admiral Moran to CNO has been um has been sort of rumored and talked about uh, among people who trade in these things for a long time so I,
1: yeah well it i mean it's not i just, I just uh, and i'm i'm assuming that uh, he was uh, he and maybe a couple of others were were definitely um on the list and and it wasn't it wasn't decided on that day but uh i, I am i'm wondering if the whoever the next CNO was going to be uh, had conversations to the extent of let's let's wrap this up before we turn over kind of thing. Um well,
2: that might be. That may be. Yeah, I, so. I, I just don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah and that's un- that's unfortunate. And not because I'm am saying it happened, but because the perception is possible now to say, well, something other than justice uh drove this conclusion, which is which is not what we want. But well, and,
0: and the judge uh did say that uh Moran was found to have engaged in apparent unlawful command influence. So it's for the judge to say it in this case and then the dude gets, I guess, promoted. My you
2: know, my only argument with the Navy leadership in this thing is that I mean if I were in their shoes, I would have stuck to this the Navy has a, a concept of command. The captain is ultimately responsible. He was removed from command, whether he is criminally uh, responsible is something that the courts will decide. And I would have never deviated from that line. No. I would have consistently and, and, and just always pounded home that concept of responsibility. If someone wanted to say that that was unlawful command influence, I would have, I would have just said, fine, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. Because the institution needs in my view, the yeah. institutional needs of the Navy and the country are more important than whether that man goes to prison.
1: Yeah, that's that's a fair point that, you know, this this idea of UCI and it's become a popular term in this in this case over the next, I mean, over the last couple of years. But it's not necessarily the most important thing. You're right. There's a there's a mission of the Navy to win our nation's wars at sea. And, uh, you know, we can we we do have to keep in mind that that is our number one job and that, um, you know, terrible things will happen along the way. Uh, People will die. People that, that should not have died will die and and we, we we can't we can't start to think of our mission to being you know let's prevent that let's prevent bad things from happening um so i i i don't disagree with you i think that uh that, uh, that idea of the centrality of command um the responsibility i mean it kind of goes back to this um something that you and i have talked about this hobson hobson's choice standard um who is uh a, a, for frank there was a an article written in the Wall Street Journal in nineteen fifty two. And uh it's it's uh in the wake of a collision and it and it kind of it lays out um a standard of accountability uh for the Navy and for captains of ships and uh you know the 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 author kinda suggests that in the time that he wrote it that American society is not very accountable and that you know, we you know we we see all around us in other places that we see the plea accepted that what is done is beyond discussion and that for good men and their human errors there should be afterwards no accountability. Mm-hmm. So that so he's saying, well, you know, in in American society it's kind of we don't we should just if it's if it happened it's bad enough, but obviously but the navy can't operate that way. Yeah, got to be more yeah. accountable. So you know he goes yeah, on. I to I think say,
2: that's the, the 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 really interesting thing reading that article is that. Is that it was written in the early 50s and you' sitting there going wow if I mean and that's you know people like me look back at that and we think that you know America was this different place and everybody you know was and that there was a di-. but it's like no we're, the you know the, the, the author of, the, of this editorial was saying everywhere in our country responsibility is a fleeting, uh, a fleeting quality yeah, yet in the yeah. Navy it continues and I think my God 70 years later 77 years later it's even worse uh, how different and how separate those concepts of responsibility what I refer to as a level of disconnectedness that's only increased and I think it's in my view, it's important for the Navy to hold the line on that.
1: Well, I think it's interesting, though, is uh, the if you look at society. So, you know, this this article kind of destroys nostalgia, right? Which is, yeah. which is interesting because you, you think of it the way we were, right? Yeah, everybody's a Boy Scout at the yeah, yeah. Soda and Fountain. Clearly, he's seeing something different, and that was 1952. Well, I mean, you all, it's, it's also easy to say that things always get worse, and, you, you know, God damn, these kids these days and right. everything. So you look around, but, I mean, if you think about it, there are there's a lot of accountability happening right now and it's not necessarily universally accepted as a good thing. There's the Me Too movement. There's uh well, that's mob accountability. Well, but um, it's accountability, right? Yeah. You know, it's people being forced to deal with there's uh pictures in yearbooks of people wearing blackface from decades ago. Um, you know, there's there's things and people you know, uh this uh, this idea of digital excavation, you yeah. know. Yeah. You, you know, you you, (laughs) being held
0: accountable for something 30 years ago, Yeah, you
1: said in high school on Twitter, you know, and uh, first of all, don't say stupid shit uh, online or at all. You shouldn't, you shouldn't say racist Ah, shit, you know, but okay. But if you're going to put it, you know, come on, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there to unpack, but now people are being held accountable and it's not them not holding themselves accountable, which if you read this article, he's not talking about holding himself accountable or the Navy or, or commanding officers, holding themselves accountable. He's talking about other people holding those CEOs accountable. And so if you look at today's society, I would argue there's a lot of accountability happening.
0: Yeah, a lot of people holding other people accountable and not holding themselves accountable. Yeah, sure,
1: sure. I mean, but self-accountability is almost a separate topic. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I would say... I
2: think, though, though, that there's... I mean, uh, let's face it. um, I I agree that there is accountability in American society and there are some... Places where it happens, but there are also some very important places where it seems like people weren't held accountable. I mean, the financial <laughs> crisis of, of 2008. Oh, good uh, point. Um, uh, you know, we, we look around and we say, well, wait a second, did anybody go to prison? Did anybody? Yeah, what, that's they, a great was, point. What, what happened there except a gigantic loss of? of wealth and, and, a, and a, and a, tremendous shock to the financial system of the country and the world. And we're and, starting to repeat and, the same. And, and, and you have CEOs who, who, um, uh, some of whom are running great companies and, and are worth every penny they're paid and others who get paid tremendous amounts of money to quietly leave and, and shareholders are left, you know, holding the bag. And so I think there are, and, and probably whether there's less, Accountability in our society than there was in 1950s is, is a matter for others to determine. I think, though, that we tend to look back on that time with a sense that there was more
1: then. Yeah. That may,
2: be, may in fact be incorrect.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. And uh, I wonder, you know, I, I, I wrote about this in a, in a recent blog post, that whether the Navy has held fast to this standard of holding captains at sea accountable on their ships uh, as, has that led to a complacency because it's venerated the standard and it kind of it's encapsulated in this article the, the Hobson's choice um, and I don't disagree that, that how important that is you mentioned the centrality of command but I wonder if it's allowed us outside of being a captain at sea to become complacent in accountability and to say okay well as long as we hold captains at sea accountable to the highest standard possible we're okay. And, and I, I'm starting to wonder whether that's caused some issues in terms of accountability outside of ships.
0: Kind of decentralizes command if, if, yeah, if you, you put too much yeah, accountability well, it's, on the, each captain.
1: And, and it's, it depends on the severity of the, of the incident. You know, In the case of uh, McCain and Fitzgerald, the blast radius of people getting fired extended well beyond the, the skin of the ship. But most, t- most collisions, it's just the CEO gets fired. And, and I have no argument there. Um,
2: well, I think it's – a, a, I mean uh, – what's his name? Chris Preble in my own podcast asked me about this a couple weeks back, and my answer was because the unit of issue of the Navy is the ship. Yeah. And, and, and the commanding officer is the first place in the chain of command where it all comes together. And within that unit of issue, that person has the ability – and the duty to, to make change. Um, when you, when you, when you go to the next level of command, when, uh, to, to the Deseron commander, for instance, like I'm an like old cruiser body. guy. Right. And I always said, yeah, yeah, the Deseron commander, he's, he's in charge of, he, he doesn't command anybody. He commands five commanders.
3: Hmm. Um, yeah.
2: That's the way I looked at it. I, you know, I, as I grew up, I came to reevaluate that. But as a as a kid, that's the way I thought about it. Was the cruiser captain has actual command. The DesRon commander is sort of, you know, administratively in charge of five people who have actual yeah. command. Yeah.
1: Well, you know that has and that then, has changed over time though. It, it it's the way, in practice today the the DesRon the Commodore, especially at sea when they when they go they take the the staff to the to the aircraft carrier and they go on deployment. They have a lot more control. Now, still, the, the captains still have command of their ship, but I would say the Commodore's influence has expanded over the years. Um, to, in, to All I can yeah.
2: tell you is if I were in command today, it would not extend to my ship.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> and and, and, and I, 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 I respect that. I respect that, but I don't, think, uh, I don't think that your view is shared universally among commanding officers, especially of DDGs. Well, he was saying it, he,
0: he grew out of that view.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's yeah, yeah. I I'm not saying that that I disagree with it. Um just the the, the nature of command is changing. Um mm-hmm. the the way we fight wars at sea now is uh with less individual ships and more uh, connected uh strike groups or even mm-hmm. disaggregated um networked uh units and the the the, and i have i written about this a little bit the 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 pinnacle of command is starting the to to shift and it's always been the command at sea that's the pinnacle of a naval officer's career and the i have noticed the needle of command which i encompass responsibility authority and accountability has started to shift toward the senior side so that and the the um the commanding officers of ships, especially destroyers, because, the, so Frank, so destroyers are usually com, uh, 05, they're younger, they're they're commanders, and then if you're the captain of a cruiser, you're an 06, you're a captain. Okay. So you're more senior. So typically...
0: And that's pretty universal among groups. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so the the 05 uh, commanding officers are, are really, they're in the hot seat some, a lot of times for the first time. Okay. So sometimes you get command earlier on of a much smaller ship like a minesweeper. Or a patrol craft. But for the most part, you are now, you're your first tour command, first time commanding a ship. Mm. And um, what I have noticed is a subtle shifting to the right, to the more senior side of, of responsibility, accountability, and authority. And it kind of ties in, Brian, to what I was saying, is I've noticed Commodores start to exert more influence over their squadrons. And the commanders of, uh, the, of the destroyers, the commanding officers of the destroyers, have sort of abdicated some of their command to the Commodore. I'm not saying it's a good thing.
2: Let me address this. I mean, um, we have obviously come at this from different views and different generational uh, approaches. Um, I'm an old guy. You're still in the game. But I'm an old guy (laughs) who spends an awful lot of time around guys who just commanded. Um, And... When I ask them these questions, and I'm constantly examining my own presumptions on these matters, um, and maybe it's because I'm in Washington and these the, 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 uh, <laughs> the swamp they're taking, you know, sort of skimming the cream of the 05 crop and sending them into OPNAV and the Joint Staff and wherever I'm meeting these people. But when I ask them very basic questions about command, about their experience in command, about uh, the level of micromanagement they got from above Mm. and about, you know, I hear coming back to me something that sounded a lot like my own experience, 2004 to 2006. Um, life is governed by the bell curve. Gaussian distribution is the way it is. And we have a certain amount of commanding officers who are exceptional, a certain amount who are terrible. (laughs) And then there's the great big fat middle. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm not getting exposed to the great big fat middle, and you are. But all I can tell you is the the COs that I talk to, um, they explain to me, and and sometimes their explanations are, are, they sound similar to what you're saying, but I think there is a persistent, deep, and pathological uniqueness bias. And I think I, I I read this in some of your writing. I read it in some of other people's writings, uh, who are who 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 say some of the same things that you say. And, and it's like we here in this place at this time are dealing with things that no one else ever had to deal with. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Wait are you are you and, saying that this has happened? Before? Are you saying that this isn't the worst and the most important time in history? Are, are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying that. I'm saying
2: that. And I'm saying. Uh, that when I was JO on the F 1084. All right. The on the last hit on the pig uh, in 1987 and 1988 when we were building out to a 594 ship Navy.
1: Hell yes. And
2: I and and I was you know trying to be a division officer on an ASW ship, uh, knowing full well that that the whole Navy was trying as hard as it could to give every penny it had to those shiny
1: new cruisers that were showing up. Fancy, Um, yeah. I'm a a cruiser guy myself, by the way.
2: We had, I mean, it was a, and and, oh, by the way, my ship was getting transferred into this this terrible thing that we no longer have, thank God, which was the Naval Reserve Frigate Program.
1: Oh. What is um, that? Well, we don't have frigates anymore.
2: No. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I was sitting there and I was, and that was my, that was my cross to bear. That was my generation's cross to bear. Yes, we had a 600 ship Navy, but there wasn't enough resources to support it. And when you're where I was, it was a ridiculous, terrible, daily struggle to produce readiness. And so when I, when I see what's going on out there today and I talk to people, I go, hey, wait a second. This is kind of, every generation has their own set of challenges and, and we just muddle through. I just yeah. don't think that what's happening out there right now is that different.
1: Okay. Well, okay. So let me, let me, let me, um, just, first of all, millenni- millennials are the best generation ever <laughs> and we will, we will, we'll fix all of your, all the problems that and, you left for us. And everything is unique um, to us. Yeah. And everything's unique. Uh, so I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Um, but no, but I think that okay. So on the command debate, so uh, Cap- uh, Captain Kevin Iyer wrote an interesting article a while ago um, about uh, stopping the erosion of command, which is kind of this notion that I just that I talked about earlier uh, uh, <clears throat> the the higher leadership, commodores and admirals, sort of imposing close control, micromanaging whatever on on ships and and their and COs, uh, and and there was a big debate. I mean, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say whether. Some of these articles that came back to him looked very forced and maybe sponsored who, by who PAO. Said this? Who said this? Uh, Kevin Iyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so he's uh, he's making an argument, and then there's a counter argument. Uh, uh, very emotional. Uh, it seemed seemed very forced from a bunch of COs that were serving um, in the fleet. Um, you know, so there's a back and forth. I, I enjoyed the debate. It, it Could ca- you wait a second? Do you think they were lying? I don't think they were lying, but so they, I, were,
2: they were they were coming forward with what they what they were experiencing, and it was not what Captain Iyer was seeing from his vantage point.
1: I would suggest that that there seemed to be a prompting because there was it, it it looked forced to me. That's all I'll say.
2: Put aside prompting or forced. Do you believe that the experiences they were putting forward were their actual experiences?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not. I'm not accusing them of lying. So I, I, I believe. Okay. So, but what I'm trying to say is, I'm not. Take, I'm trying to not take an emotional stance on the erosion of command. What I think is happening is a natural, almost technological evolution of how we fight warfare, and that, especially naval warfare, it, it's just it's become more disaggregated, and so the the way that we fight is less about sending off ships or maybe small groups of ships on their own and finding uh, and destroying the enemy and it's become much more dependent on a, on a heavily networked force that uh that inherently carries with it the c2 uh command and control mm-hmm. uh that is managed by somebody that maybe not maybe he's not on the ship
0: well and that's kind of where my question is like what i guess what is the the erosion the micromanaging, Cause from, from an outsider's perspective with the technology we have today and just the way everything works, I mean, it seems it seems short-sighted to, um, if you're going out in groups anyway, like to worry about one ship. I mean, you I would think you would want a commander who is you know actively managing all of the ships simultaneously well and
1: you do have that you have, yeah you have admirals and commodores that well and that's what i'm saying
0: is that the erosion of command or was that the i mean what's the micromanaging well i think
1: was the the argument is that they those commodores and admirals then start to make decisions for the captains of the ships that those, those some some more tactical decisions about how how to drive their individual ship where to go what systems to use? What 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 uh, maintenance to perform and when to perform it? There's a very detailed tactical decisions that somebody off the ship may not be able to make the best decision uh, because they don't know. They're not on the ship. They don't know that. I mean, are, level of is detail. the captain
0: able to push back and say, "I see where you're coming from, but we just did this maintenance this many weeks ago." And
1: well, that's 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 sort of what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. yeah. Is it, I I think I think yes. I think uh, Brian would I think would say you know would, what you, what would you say? Do you think that that you're hearing that that the people you talk to say that they are allowed to push back on that kind of, you know, intrusive.
2: No, I, I, what I would, I what I would say, what I would say, I would come back to my uniqueness bias argument again. Um, there's no question. You're absolutely spot on. Correct. That, that technology and technology insertion in Navy ships serves to peck away at the prerogatives of command. I, I will I will absolutely agree with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, but it has
2: yeah. it has ever been thus. <laughs> I
1: yeah, mean, yeah.
2: this is not. I mean, this is not perceived to the Caribbean and represent the crown's interest for three years. Right. When when we went to flashing light, when we went to talk by ships, uh, radio systems, every single technological advance that has come forward. Uh, the, when I was when I was in command, it was chat. We were absolutely oh, yeah. obsessed with with uh, with how ruinous chat was um, for many reasons. But uh, it, it, uh, for Frank, it's essentially, it was a way to communicate among ships where you didn't have to actually get on the radio and, and say what you meant. Y'all you were on AOL Instant Messenger. Quietly. Yeah. Um, and there was all kinds of tasking that was happening, and uh, it was just, it was... And we all thought the end of the goddamn universe was going
0: to come from chat.
1: <laughs> it did get out of hand. I mean, I I, the emojis. You know, when I was sitting as a TAO, a tactical action officer, kind of like the person that was charging the collision, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had a lot of responsibility. I was the most, besides the captain, who may be sleeping, I was, the in, in, I was responsible for the ship. Okay. Um, I had nine chat windows open on one laptop. And, and it was my responsibility to not just focus on the laptop. Obviously, I had to focus on my tactical consoles and my people and my team and make sure the bridge didn't hit another ship. Um, but all the while, I had nine chat windows of people that were trying to talk to yeah, me.
2: That's ridi- it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, it is, I, I don't, I, and so I, I, get, I get that instant communications, instant situational awareness, the 10,000-mile screwdriver, all of those things, apply. but so does that goddamn sheriff's badge.
3: Yeah, it man.
2: provides you a, it provides you a force field. and Jimmy, when you get out there, I want you to think about it like this. I want you to say, I have this thing on my chest that says I am in charge. If you want to come and take it from me, take it from me. Otherwise, thank you. But I'm going to command my ship.
1: Yeah. Well I think that's and I I couldn't agree with you more. We we need to have people in command that think that way. I well, think that is a it's a that should be a core competency of taking command.
0: And, and I you know, I agree to a certain extent of, you know, command your ship, you're in charge. But if everybody's taking that view, commanding their ship, doesn't that decentralize leadership?
1: Well, I think you have to you have to balance it. Yeah, yeah, you do have to balance it. You have to have uh, somebody with a larger view, and it depends on the situation. If we're talking about naval warfare, we're yeah. in, we're in combat, then the commander of a ship may not have the view to uh, the larger view of the fight. Oh, right. And so the the admiral, for example, needs to be able to say, okay, got it. You don't want to do that. I am giving. I'm overriding you. Yeah. And, and so, and I I think that happens. And. And we have systems in place you know in the way we fight we we call it command by negation um, and we we I think we do a pretty good job of that, but we're not in the past few years we've not been in high end naval warfare right and so we're, we're we're trying to I think we're trying to get to the place where we can be ready for that you know we talk about China a lot you know there's this great power competition China. Um, so we we're going to need to be ready to 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 quickly um command and control cool. our ships so and and it's not just chat i wanted to bring up another anecdote of uh, you know back in the day so uh oh take a shot by the way if you're playing the drinking game version of this um so there's an anecdote of the first um in the persian the first persian gulf war um there was a submarine that was ordered to fi- to fire a tomahawk and it may have been the first one fired from a submarine ever. Okay. Well, when you fire a Tomahawk missile and the same from a surface ship, you don't necessarily know what you're firing on. You know, you you're told to go to a certain you point, have coordinates, and- you're at a certain time. You launch somebody else somewhere else. Well, apparently, the CO of that submarine refused to fire the missile hmm. because he was like, I. His argument was, I don't know what I'm firing on. What year was this? Early '90s. Okay. So I heard this from a submarine uh, retired submarine captain, um, and. You know, it's an interesting anecdote. I assume true, maybe not. I don't know. But if true, it's an interesting uh, perspective because the not just not just the communications and how we micromanage, but also the kill chain yeah. has been extended off of the ship. So the kill chain is you know from uh, detection of a threat all the way to um, execution, execution, and then battle damage assessment. You know, the, this whole chain. Of my events. memory,
2: my memory of the Tomahawk weapon system may be dated, but. Um, the um, that sounds like a, a kind of an odd story, if only because there was a, a a product that you got when you had Tomahawks on board called the TEP the T E P P and the Tomahawk Engagement Planner program or something like that, and you could you had the ability to to buy mission number um, call up what that mission was. And you could see what the target was.
3: Okay. Um, and what it, year was it this? Then became
2: that. That then became electronic. But it was in, on paper, but you had the ability to wow. to know generally where that missile was going. Um, but I, listen, I, listen, I'm not um Frank had some had some good questions, um, and I want to kind of explicate this theory of command a little bit. Okay. Um, you're, you're not a tyrant. You don't make your own rules. You're not, you, you don't get to just say, this is my ship, I can do it any way I want. Right. In fact, I think an organization, uh, I, I, in fact, I've written like about this before. Um, the Navy's product, or the Surface Navy in particular, its product is, is readiness, is combat readiness. Um, if, if Toyota, uh, who makes cars as its project, allowed all of its factories to produce cars however the factory manager wanted there would be a lot of variation in how those cars were produced and it would not be good for the bottom line right. i don't think that letting you know allowing uh, 150 or 160 ceos to just make it all up as they want no i believe that the, the, you know i've always argued with why? Why are there? Why are restricted maneuvering documents different for different ships? It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. the, how you, how you align your engineering plant for combat and for restricted maneuvering is a function of the things that are in it, not who is commanding it. And so the institution has an obligation to say, this is how we believe this system should be operated. Uh, during these times,
1: I think we may have uh, gone think, that direction recently. With I know we standardized. I think we we standardized the CO's standing orders. We may have we may have standardized RMD as well. I'm not sure.
2: And I think I think those are reasonable uh, reasonable steps forward to eliminate uh, inefficient variation in a larger system. That doesn't mean that within the stem of the ship that that captain isn't responsible for. Um, how that ship interprets direction from above and how it implements it—that's yeah. that's what that's what we want. That's what we need. And, and I, I so I'm not trying to say that I want captains who are just tyrants within their ship.
1: Oh. No, I think it it it's, it makes sense, and um, I agree. It, it's a good thing to standardize things like standing orders. Though it seems initially when you hear that you go, you're taking the the CEO's prerogative away from writing his standing orders. But if you think about it. You know, junior officers go from ship to ship all the time, and if they have to learn a whole new set of standing orders with different, okay, call call me from when you're on the bridge, call me when a ship gets this close, and it's different for every for ship, ship, it gets to be a, a lot to, to keep track of. And if you just have a standard set, what I thought was interesting in some of those articles that COs were writing back to Kevin Iyer, um there was, a, there was a captain that wrote then his, he said, you know, um, in defense of the standardized standing orders, you know, I think it makes sense, blah, blah, blah. And he said, in, in case of my ship, uh, all, all of my standing orders were already compliant with the standard, it, were uh, above the standard. So he said, well, I didn't need to change anything. And, and I thought, well, if we're going to go standardized, then let's standardize. Hmm. Let's not. Well, I'm, and I'm with you. I think, yeah. I think, that, I think
2: uh, again, I mean, that if the, uh, here's, a, here's a, a story for you. I, I was in command, we're getting ready to deploy. Second Fleet uh, uh, used to do this thing, I don't, I don't know whether they're bringing it back or not, where. Um, you know, a few weeks before you deploy, they did this really intense force protection week on your ship. Yeah. Um, and some senior chief from second fleet came down for the in brief and he's sitting in my wardroom and he's talking to me. And he said to me at one point, well, Captain, uh Admiral Fitzgerald doesn't want to tell you how to do business. And I looked at him and I said, why not? <laughs> And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, well, I, I assume Admiral Fitzgerald has some wisdom and some experience that he can pass along, and that other ships have done this effectively. <laughs> why? Why wouldn't you tell me? Tell me what you want, yeah. and I will give it to you. Um, but if you're, if what you're saying is that you, you know you're, you, you you know you just do it however you want, Captain, bullshit. I want, I want tried and tested lessons learned from other ships who have gone through this. You um,
0: I, you know, I, again, I, I, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I'm, a I'm, with
2: you. I'm a different breed of cat, but I—that's yeah. what I said to the guy.
0: Well, you know, if uh, yeah. one complaint I hear a lot about, uh, you know, from people as they become manager types is um, having to to micro. No one wants to be a micromanager, right? But everybody feels like uh, at some point they're like, oh man, they call and they go. Like, what do I need to do? It's like, I'll walk over there. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, move your left foot and then your right foot and then your left foot again. And it seems to be this common complaint when people are first getting into management where it's like, I have to literally break it down step by step yeah. to get people to do anything.
1: Yeah. I think the, the, the tougher part is to, sh- to to share the the vision, like to share the why. If yeah. you can communicate the why then generally you can get people to go in the right direction For and sure. go over there but
2: so so Timmy this is why i wrote that last article that i wrote that caused a kerfuffle among some in the in the industry where it's... i talked about where i wa- where i was saying captains
3: captains yeah. of ships
2: you have to be the focal point of trying to explain to your people your ship's role in national security your ship's role in the naval architecture why big Navy makes some of the decisions that it makes. Um, if all you do is act as a frictionless pipe and let this ship go up and down without any kind of adding any value, what are you doing in command?
1: No, I, I agree with it. I, I had that article pulled up and I, and I enjoyed reading it. I, my, my only point that I would make is that I don't think it stops at captains of ships. I think that, that your lessons that you're trying to pass on apply to any leader in the Navy and really just any leader in general, this idea I think of, that's
2: fair. I think that's an excellent, yeah. point. That's so, an excellent point. So
1: we, we need to make sure that we're not leaving that on the ship when we go ashore.
2: But and, I would say that no one on the ship,
1: uh,
2: almost almost certainly, no one on the ship would have had the experiences that the CO had that would give him or her the ability to... Um, I mean, this is why it takes... 17 years to make a captain right yeah, I mean, no we, doubt we want that person to have a series of experiences that include uh, major fleets major staff cno staff joint staff so that they can say to their people well i mean yeah um the navy has done this crr and has come up with these 111 things that they're going to fix but there's a budget process, and it works like this, and it takes time for the pig to work its way through the python. Well, Admiral, so we'll, well,
1: Admiral Davidson said they were like 99% complete already. So, um, no, I'm joking, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, Admiral, I think Admiral Moran's testimony the other day was, was a, a pretty fair um, rendering of where they are.
3: Yeah. But even
2: he said, you know, if we've got the rudder over and we've got the money headed towards that target, uh, we're taking credit for some level of completion. That may be unsatisfying to some, but at, but when you're, what you're worried about is a budget and trying to get money moving in the right direction, it seems to me you ought to be able to take some credit for that.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's right. fair. I mean, it's, it's it, the money does matter. I think some, some people in, in my generation and not just in my generation, but at my level of uh, a naval career tend to not think about money and budget and, and, and not realize how fundamental that really is to all of these reforms, all of these things that uh, affect operations and tactics and strategy. Um, Underlying all of it is trying to get the, the amount of money you need to fund the, to build the ships and then to maintain them and then operate them. They don't run for free. Yeah. So it's a fair point.
0: And it takes
2: time to get things, uh, you know, online. I mean, it, it seems like we, that, that we can, screw things up with this at the speed of light. Um, uh, it, 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 to me, it didn't take long to go from having two separate, beautiful training commands for surface warfare in Newport and San Diego, where you went at various times in your career to go to one in Newport to then just eliminating half the training that they were doing. That seemed to happen relatively quickly. Um,
0: and San Diego's obviously the one to keep. Who got
2: a, a supply of ensigns along the way? Who showed up with smiling faces and ten CD-ROMs in their hands?
3: And oh yeah, my
2: my responsibility to, to train these guys, and I took it seriously. I thought, I, you know, I, I, it, it, it didn't strike me as a burden. It was something that I felt like, all right, this is what I'm here to teach. That's my thing. But um, we, it takes time. So when we when we reinstitute uh training that we believed I think ridiculously wasn't necessary. If you look at the Navy from 2000 or let me think right around, I would say 2007 or 2008 for about 10 years or I would say until in surface Navy, uh, until Coatman got to serve war. um, whatever that was, maybe 2013 or so. There was a period of years where all we did was um, decline the professionalism
0: of the force. I mean, the CD-ROM thing is easily my favorite Navy story
1: I've ever heard. I'm a product of it, and so that's probably why I'm all screwed
2: up. We got rid of SWAS division officer school. We got rid of senior officer shit material readiness course. We, we, all we did was say in the interest of efficiency, we attacked the professionalism of surface warfare. And that changed with the Belial report. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, a lot of money went, went back into reinstituting things. And so we're starting to see some of that, but it takes a while. It takes time for that stuff. To, to find its
1: purchase so talk for a second about the belial report so for frank this yeah I have is have no a, idea what that is basically so my re- recollection of it is it was a basically a report by um a retired admiral that said hey you guys your your maintenance is all jacked up you're not maintaining your ships you're not keeping them ready is that mm-hmm. uh a, a bad? is it so brian is that a good synopsis of it
2: it was more than it really was more than that it was a comprehensive um and, and i think it's available online um uh it was a comprehensive review that was initiated by a sense that surface warfare maintenance is broken. But Admiral Belisle and his team um, went much deeper. Okay. They went into training and professionalism and operations, um, and, they, and they put forward a, a damning indictment of the state of surface warfare in 2010.
1: So what what and, sh- what changed after the Bilal report? Because some some would say, well, here we are now, and we still have these issues.
2: Well, I I think if you look at, so if you look at 2010, the budget that was being worked in 2010 was the 2012 budget. If you look at the 2012 budget, for the next five years, surface readiness money went up every goddamn year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we spent money on maintenance. We reinstituted SWAS. We brought back SWAS to some extent. It was not what it, it's not where it's going now after you know the CRR. But it was a it, it was like okay, we recognize that sending these kids to ships without any uh, without any training is a ridiculous idea. We yeah. instituted the senior officer ship material readiness course. So. Um, if if what you saw and what others saw in the fleet in 14 and 15 was 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 saying well nothing's changed, um, I I would disagree with that. I would say yeah. that that there was a considerable increase in the money that went into uh, into maintenance, basic maintenance for ships. Now what else oh, happened in that time? China happened in that yeah. time.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: And 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 especially in the Seventh Fleet, you had. Uh, you had a, a funding stream that was chasing a an operational requirements uh, 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 stream that was leading it, and it never caught, it never got anywhere close. In fact, the gap between what we were paying for and what we were operating just increased from 15 on. Well, and you could there's also no, add to that, that.
1: we we we'd also we we didn't we didn't alleviate the strain from the Middle East either, and not not soon enough. I mean, we have we have now, but uh if you Oh I mean you're
2: absolutely right we 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 dramatically increased the requirements on the navy at the time that we increased maintenance and uh, maintenance money yeah to meet to meet a target from 2010 and so but but again you go back you know you know these things um though it you know you had CNO after CNO going into the congress and saying is readiness is broken readiness is broken readiness is broken readiness is broken um I don't like the current administration, but when they came in, they put a shit ton of money towards readiness. In yeah. fact, uh Mr. Uh Mattis, Demo Mattis, yeah. that was his number one thing. It was it was all about current readiness.
1: Yeah, and our, uh and,
2: and, and growing the navy was his number three priority, and I think it was more like number three hundred.
1: <laughs> well, um, you know, we uh, we have the uh, increased our rate of ship commissionings in in this administration, and I don't know if that's you know who, whose credit that is, but I mean, we we are we are we are building and commissioning ships at a, at a rate greater than in the previous administration.
2: So. It's it, I would say it, it, it is it is there has been an increase. Um, whether that increase is going to be able to continue or not, I don't I don't know, but yeah, I think. It, it, you know, we've we've also put a lot of money into maintenance. Now, is it enough? No. Yeah. Um, are we have we significantly cut back on the uh, the operational commitments? I don't know that.
1: Well, I would say, I, I, from my perspective, we have, and I, I I look I tend to look at the Middle East more than any other region, and I would say yes. In in. In that region, we are cutting back from a naval perspective, but I don't know if it's enough, and I don't know if you can take just from one region. Just because, okay, you know, uh, we're no longer uh, fighting. You know, well, ISIS is no longer the threat that it was. Right. We're no longer sending uh, F-18s into Afghanistan on a daily basis. Uh, lots of things have gone by the wayside, making it a little easier to not put as many ships in that region, um, but there's still, you know, we still have commitments in Europe, uh, all around the sure. world. And, and we are, we are probably not alleviating that operational demand, uh, in order to, to build readiness, uh, for a future fight, because that's always, that's always a strain. It's always, what are we, you know, operations, what are we doing now versus what are we preparing for in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the I things that, there's,
2: I think there's a reasonable, I think there's a, a, a pretty strong tie between the national security strategy the national defense strategy and what you're seeing right they're make
3: yeah. they're making
2: a choice they're making a choice to de-emphasize the middle east um uh in order to redistribute force to the pacific and to europe
1: yeah and when, um, one of the things i that, mean, and so
2: when people when people talk about uh, how strategy and budgets aren't connected. I, I I look at this and I go, well, that's not entirely true. The strategy is driving the way we're operating the Navy, and the budget is following suit. I just think that we, it's just insufficient budget, right? We're still not resourcing. Yeah. Um. When, when, even though we dropped the Middle Eastern commitment, we're not resourcing the Navy to the degree that we ought to be doing, uh, and that's. Largely because of the way we the way we do it, the way we, you know, we try to divide the baby up equally um, among the services and the defense agencies. And, you know, we've had six or seven major strategic realignments since the end of the Cold War. And uh, and the shares that go to the defense agencies and the Navy, the Army and the Air Force all remain about the same. It doesn't. I mean, it's not. Uh, you know, it's not. 25, 25, 25, 25. Um, but it is the, the shares that go to them. It doesn't matter whether we're fighting a war on terror or a, a yeah. gearing up for great for, uh, power competition. We always seem to wind up with
3: the same share.
2: Which is and funny. So you, you've got it.
1: situations where we've been fighting mostly a land war um, in, in uh, the Middle East and then a future fight with China, which would be uh, very naval, most, mostly oh, maritime. Yes and you're still internet. Yeah. Well, it's true, true, but you know you're you're still seeing the same share of funds go to each of the services, mm-hmm. which would be which is kind of funny. Uh, so it's
0: not necessarily about the 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 budget, but the the spending of the budget because it seems
1: like, I mean,
0: we've got tons of money dedicated to to the military. It just seems like maybe it's not being spent the mo- the most effective ways. Is the share
1: that- of the budget going to the Navy. If we're if we're geared, if we're, if we're preparing for a fight with China, okay which is what great power competition and the national security strategy sort of portends then you need you should be investing in the navy uh, it, it, more so than some of the other services so um, it's just there's it's no
0: a, no uh, dynamic thought that goes into it it's just split it up fairly among the kids and yeah, or equally among the kids but it sounds like it's
1: interesting
2: well and i think i mean i i think the navy has a claim to increase uh, resources for uh, preparing for China. I think um, the Air Force has a similar claim. I think, anyway, where you say it's a maritime, I say it's a maritime and aerospace uh, fight. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what force. What, what, what interests me is is how we're not able to to just sort of plainly say, "Hey, Army." Um, to the extent that you are important and you are important in these fights, it's most, it's almost certainly going to be in, in and around Europe. Why don't you guys kind of concentrate over here? Navy and air force, you kind of concentrate over here. And the Navy has a particular fight in the Atlantic that it has to also, uh, uh, an ASW fight that it really needs to stay on. But I, w- w- we're not, w- we, we want to continue with this, uh, zone defense
1: yeah well it's the, the, um, the combatant what it is
2: it's a worldwide zone defense where where we have to sort of uh, but the the national security strategy made some choices it's going to be interesting to see whether the defense establishment responds to those choices with by altering uh, how the money flows and yeah. where it flows
1: well one of the things that is um interesting. Recently is uh, Mattis's concept of dynamic force employment. So if we don't, you know, we obviously the money is one thing. We got to get the money, but then to be able to employ the force in a way that helps us to reset, I think is it was pretty clever uh, in my mind. It did, it did a few things. So what it what dynamic force employment is for for Frank is it uh, allows us to to de- de- deploy our voice forces in a more unpredictable manner, and hmm. so instead of just rotational basis we deploy our strike groups to the middle east or wherever uh, on this routine rotation it's more it's more based on well where, where is that strike group needed and um maybe we're not going to just send uh, this carrier strike group to the middle east to relieve the one that's there now we'll send one to europe or we, maybe we don't send it anywhere and we allow it uh, more time at home port to uh do Get maintenance up, yeah. and re- reset um and it was just – it shifted the way – and it, I think it had to do a lot of things. It had to, partly to do with um, the 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 alleviation of the strain on uh, resources in the Middle East. Uh, we're just not – we're not doing the same thing that, there that we used to do. And then obviously there's more of a uh, concern in, in, in the Pacific. So uh, dynamic force employment I think is interesting. I don't know if it will solve all of our problems, um, but it well, it allows think, us to – I
2: think it's important. I mean there's there's something – um. There's something to it. it. It it certainly got the attention of the people who we wanted to have their attention. Um, I spoke about. I identified attention with dynamic force employment and, uh, and OFRP, the optimized fleet report yeah. response plan, uh, pretty early on, because dynamic force employment um, stresses unpredictability. Whereas OFRP was all about predictability, yeah, for yeah. providing a constant assembly line of ready naval forces at predictable
0: intervals. And predictability um, seems like a negative thing when well, you're. <laughs> so
1: it's a good thing in terms of funding for maintenance. Funding, and, and yeah, yeah so exactly. But exactly. in warfare, it really, yeah.
2: It, yeah. But so when I, I, had the, I had a conversation with a very, very senior Navy admiral, and I made this point to him. And his point back to me was, well, dynamic force employment is going to happen within the broad constructs of OFRP. So, if you go into OFRP, there is time, right? There is time to go and do this. There's the sustainment phase, for instance, when you come home from deployment, before you go into the shipyard, you are in a you're, you're in a period of time where you are able to be tasked, right? Yeah. Um, and so I took that answer from this senior Navy person and said, okay, let me go and think about this. And what I've arrived at was, okay, sure. You can be more unpredictable by redeploying or echo deploying forces uh, in their sustainment phase. The problem is we don't resource to do that.
3: Yeah. Hmm. You
2: have to pay for, you have to pay for the, for the fuel for the underway days. That has to be, and so that's something I haven't been able to discern whether we've actually done or not, is add the ONS costs uh, to the ONS budget to support these Echo deployments from the sustainment days.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, part of it there. Mattis is gone now, so my concern is that his his concept, which was really his baby, and, and he's a very smart man, yeah. I like the idea, but he's gone, and... My concern is it's going to go by the wayside, and somebody else's baby is going to come in. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a powerful concept. I think it'll allow us to do a lot of things, both strategically, operationally, and and in terms of resetting the force and getting ready for you know the, the this great power competition. Um you know, we'll, we'll see. But you're right. If we're not if we're not putting the money toward it, then uh, it's it's not going to matter.
2: Well, I mean, there's an opportunity there, and I, I like you. I'm a big fan of it. I loved. I, I you know I got. Uh, I, I had some insight into how some of our friends and, and others were uh, viewing the um, – and they were just like, what the, what the hell are you guys doing? What are you doing with that carrier, bringing it home early, sending it back out? It's like, hey, that's dynamic force employment.
1: Yeah, and it's it's going to be more complicated as it goes forward if we continue to do it. It'll be much harder right. for our adversaries, adversaries rely on that on that predictability to know where those carriers are going. I mean, that's what I would want is, yeah.
0: is somebody that I could already know where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. They have
1: no doubt right. taken advantage right. of that. No, you're um, right, Frank. You're right. So, well, um, I think we've beaten that dead horse. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're probably going to solve uh, the problems that we can solve today. I think we've solved them. Um I just want to, I want to add, you, you mentioned, uh, Admiral Copeman. I have it on good authority. He is a fan of the salty millennial. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all about Shout you, out to huh? Admiral Copeman. Yep. Yep. Hey, listen, <laughs> Ab-
2: Admiral Copeman, um, I am, I have to give away my biases. Copeman's a friend. Roden's a friend. Uh, Roden gets a lot of credit for, um, for, uh, for distributed lethality and, you know, putting a focus yeah. back on war fighting. Um, it's, it is, it, it everyone always has to remember that, that Coatman got that ball rolling. Roden took it to a new place, but what Coatman really stood up and said, especially in the last six or seven months of his time as surf war, Hey, we really need to focus on war fighting again because we've lost some of our skills. And I, I will always thank him for that.
1: I, I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I don't know him personally, but, uh, I, I have met, uh, Admiral Roden and, uh, I'm a big fan. Um, I, I was able to be involved in some early discussions on distributed lethality and I was just, it, it pumped me up, you know, it got me excited about the next few years of my career being a surface warfare officer and, and seeing where it's gone. It's now it's distributed maritime operations. I think that was probably a smart move because <laughs> the word lethality became overrun, uh, in the Pentagon and now everybody's using it for all kinds of things. But, uh, I, I think the concept is moving in the right direction and hopefully we can, we can. Keep can it, I tell keep
2: it you one quick story about distributedly
0: salad? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go
1: ahead.
2: Um, I, I was present at the creation with Emma Roden and I helped him develop it. Um, it it was always we always believed that we would we would realize that it had some impact when money started to move. Yeah, um, I had a lunch with a very very senior man in the Department of Defense, and he brought it up. He's like, "Hey, I'm really excited about what you and Tom Roden are doing on distributed lethality. I think it's great." He said, "But I." I'm really disappointed in the Navy's budget submission. This is maybe the six Palm 16 or something like that. Maybe um, uh, It just doesn't seem to be here. And, and because I know how these things work, I said, well, it, you know, it went through the process and the Navy, you know, bureaucracy ground it down and it had to be switched, you know, other priorities had to get money and blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, I think this is just really unfortunate. And I looked at him and I said, I know somebody who can change that.
3: <laughs> and uh, he looked like at me wake, and wink. Said, well, you know,
2: I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't necessarily want, and I was like, sir, this is why you're here.
0: Right. Yep. This is
2: why you're here. And directions from the uh, Office of the Secretary of Defense came down and it moved money around in ways that were meaningful and showed what, uh, and, and, and tracked with what we were trying to do, and those yeah. investments have continued. So now we have Tomahawk Block Four. We're getting SM Six out there. We're getting SeaWhip Block Three, SeaWhip Block Four to come. There's all kinds of things in the pipeline that show that the original thinking got money moving, and that's something I'm very very happy about.
1: That's exactly the point I was going to make. Original thinking got money moving. It was that's why that's why it was successful. We weren't going after the money. In and of itself, you weren't just trying it's not just to, baseline budgeting. You, yeah, you you developed a concept that you believed in and you knew would work based on your experience and all of your you know your your navel bones, you know, and you you were able to develop this concept and then the money followed. And obviously, that takes some some work. But uh, and uh, and and oh, by the way, I'll, Frank, I'll 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 uh, explain those acronyms that <laughs> mentioned. Uh, I just listen, ignore they're, them. They're all they're all they're all de- they're all lethal weapons. So. Uh, uh, we should have done a drinking game version where every time we say lethal. I sure. think every time there's
0: an right. acronym.
1: <laughs> so, hey, uh, real quick, one one last sea story um, about command. So my my dad was a captain of a submarine, and he, he tells me a story about a time that he had a rudder casualty while he was out at sea. And he had to report it back to the fleet. And um, the message came back, and it was uh, something to the effect of, you know, what are what are you doing to fix this? Your rudder, you know. Tell us what you're, what, what procedures you're taking, what maintenance, blah blah blah. And he told the uh, the radio man to write a message that said, "My ship, my rudder, my problem." <laughs> now I he, he he tells me he didn't actually send it, so uh, he backed down to the last second. I'm a little disappointed, but yeah. um, it's uh, I think it goes in line, Brian, with what uh, what you were saying about Jimmy. Jimmy, man.
2: command like your dad did.
1: <laughs> 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 my ship, my rudder, my problem. So just,
2: I mean, you don't have to be a dick about it, but it, you, you know, it, it, you can. It's it's hey, I got this.
1: Yeah, I yeah. got it. You put me you put me here for a reason, and that's you know right. you should just do that with every job you have. Here's
2: my I mean, it doesn't leave you from saying, I mean, if your boss has a right to know that you have a plan, and 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 yeah, The, that's the right. good ca- the good captains are the ones who have gone over and sat with the commodore and the chief of staff and have said. I have in-serve in eighteen months. Here's my initial plan, and he goes over quarterly and says, "Here's my update." Blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, you got to do that. That's yeah. part of being a good captain. It's that's not right. just you know putting the force field up and saying, "Leave me alone." It's it's yeah. boss management. It's well, part right. of command.
0: And bosses want you to have a plan because when you go, when you come with a problem and you don't have a plan, that's then that's it's their just The worst. Yeah. yeah. No one wants to deal with that. So
1: well, absolutely. Brian, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. As uh, have I. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you.
0: And, and uh, if uh, for anybody listening that doesn't already follow you, you want to tell them where they might be able to find some more of your. Yeah, your I, am, I am on Twitter at
1: Conswhoo.
0: C O N S W A H O O.
1: And you also do your own podcast. Uh, do you want to you want to plug that?
2: Yeah, I am part of a War on the Rocks" podcast known as Net Assessment. Thank you for that. Uh, and we. Uh, w- uh, we're on the we're on the rocks folks net assessment it's called and we, we come out every two weeks and we just posted one uh, Thursday
1: cool. alright that's a good time well Frank you got anything else
0: no it was very nice meeting you thank you for your time I've, I've enjoyed listening and occasionally chiming in with my bullshit and you know what I probably <laughs> should have
1: said this at the beginning but uh, nobody agrees with us uh, these are not the views nah, of do the we have to Department do this, of Amory, Defense have to. yeah so uh, disclaimer 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 uh and 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 you know uh for everybody out there like and subscribe salt force one yeah we're
0: finest. on on everything spotify and whatever i don't know yeah all right well
1: we're out here brian thanks for your time today
2: thank you i look forward to ruthlessly flacking this
1: this <laughs> podcast on social media excellent all right. <laughs> all right all right well until next week uh, keep it salty keep it salty. all right out here